Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, this fine Christmas Eve, Mr. Ethan 80 Cards Sacks. 40 wasn't enough for you, huh? You just had to go double. 40 wasn't enough. Yeah, I uh, apologies. I'll get this out of the way right now. I am getting over slash in the middle of being sick. It's pretty incredible that my son is almost a year old, and I'm finally now experiencing the I, you know, he got sick, so I got sick, and we just keep <laughs> keep giving it to each other, just back and forth. That sounds horrible. It's awful. Um, yes, but just because, like, you know, poor little guy is sick, and I'm then not a hundred percent to take care of him. It's, it's not great. And luckily, like a knock vicious on, cycle. Knock on wood, Jen seems to be unscathed currently. I'm not sure how that's possible, but uh, hopefully, she makes it makes it out of this alive. Anyway, yes, uh, we'll be talking about this a little bit later. I think, you know, as things develop in my journey towards the Pro Tour in February, um, I, I think I'll give people updates on the show just a little bit. I'll have to, you know, maybe we'll put a timestamp so people, you <laughs> and I'll forward. Let, make it fast forward. I'll let you know when you can go get a drink of water or use the bathroom or whatever. But yeah, so there was a big tournament in Atlanta last weekend. The, actually, this was the biggest magic tournament requiring invites to attend ever 1300 person regional championship in atlanta and the winning deck was blue white control featuring the sky noodle himself yorian <laughs> in the sideboard and so i you know i hadn't been loving i've you know, been tooling with racto sacrifice do you add smuggler's copter and if you add smuggler's copter people are playing inti or maybe you're still just doing racto's midrange i don't know i was messing around with it and then i was like look this deck just won a huge field let's see how it goes and i've been having a lot of success with the deck while still feeling woefully out of my depths as we will get to a little bit later but yes i am i'm an 80 card gamer right now isn't it way harder to play a control deck like as a newish constructed player like doesn't it require so much deeper knowledge of the format yes it really i mean we will talk about that it really requires knowing like what cards matter what cards don't but i really i don't know I of the decks that are the top right now. So do you know anything about what's going on in Pioneer right now? I know what Twitter tells me about Pioneer. <laughs> That's the extent of my Pioneer knowledge. Do you know there's an Amalia? Like LCI yes, really was quite I know impactful. There's an Amalia there's, combo deck. There's an Amalia combo deck. So I just don't really enjoy myself. Like the decks that are like, I'm going to do my thing fast. And if you disrupt it, good for you. But if not, I win. I would. I prefer feeling like I have agency. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I prefer having agency. So I think I would prefer playing a reactive deck to a proactive deck. That's impressive. I would want the most can I do my thing quick and I win deck possible if I were qualified for constructed events so that I didn't have to learn as much about <laughs> The constructed field. Just gold fishing. That's what I know, would do. Yeah, that's what I think would give me my best chance because I wouldn't have time to put in the reps to like learn the format intimately enough. And I don't think that would be playing to my strengths like sideboarding, ugh, long games. I just think I would make more mistakes than I would gain equity from playing a deck with decisions. But I mean, you, you, you you're, still you're great at magic. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, so we'll, so we'll talk about that. I, I had my first foray into a big uh, constructed tournament online yesterday. But how are things with you? What's going on in the magic world with you? Not a lot. You know, I've been jamming some festival in a box seal. That event came back this weekend and I am officially on uh, winter break. So I jammed all day on Friday. We resurrected Team Bands with Brothers, which is uh, my two older brothers, our team trio's team name. So we hopped on a Discord call and did two uh, two festival in a boxes back to back and got 
six wins on both of them. So Team Bands with Brothers is still uh, alive and well. So I have to ask because, and this is, look, we all do things differently. We're all on different journeys, whatever. I personally do not enjoy watching you build a sealed deck. It <laughs> causes me great anxiety. Because of how long I take? It, you really you really go through it in like perhaps the least efficient way possible <laughs> that I can imagine. Oh, wow. So what I'm wondering is when it's you and if, when, when your powers are tripled with two more wernies at the helm, how long? Like, is someone taking the lead? Are you all just like getting in there and arguing about <laughs> colors and cards and and that's why it's great value because it takes you like two hours to build a deck. Well, so there's different, different depending on who the person is. So the the initial sit down is usually like fifteen to twenty minutes of silence while we are all like individually building with some oh oh my god and some oh white seems busted like peppered in there, but but generally silence while working on our own builds. And then as some builds get finished, we start looking at each other's. Nick, my oldest brother, probably feels very similar to you. And it's like, can we please just <laughs> pick a deck and start jamming? But Adam and I, like Adam and I could like send sealed pools back and forth, I think for a good hour or two and not get tired of it. <laughs> I, that's one of the but the things I enjoy most about the festival in a box sealed is that like, I feel like I can spend an hour on the sealed build, like trying to find an optimal build. And there's just a lot going on, a lot of things to consider. So yes, I, I would say it is a, a fairly involved process. Uh, Nick would probably like it to be shorter, but then we ultimately like, I think I, as the best magic player of the three of us kind of make some executive decisions after hearing everyone's opinions. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that when this event came around the first time that we were seeing in our Discord was like, and we mentioned this on the show, that the pools, you never felt like you had a bad, I mean, there are better pools than others, but you never feel like you don't have a deck to build. Right, that you can't make packs, a competitive deck or multiple competitive decks, right? Which, like, leads to, should Sealed just be more than six packs now? Like, Hell yes, sign me that, up. That would, that would solve, I mean, maybe it doesn't have to be nine, but certainly like seven or eight. Like, I think that would give, a, that would level the playing field quite a bit, which I think doesn't maybe sound obvious, but this event has me convinced. Yeah, this event has been incredible. This has been the most, you know, we're talking about good clean magic with cons last week. This has been the most feeling like I was when I was a kid. Like, and I just had my cards and I was building a deck with the cards I had because it's it's nine is so much more than six, but it's not enough that like you're just jamming all of your rares in two colors into a deck. It's not like opening a whole box or something, you know, like have you ever done a, a box sealed event? I have not, but I, I know of it. Right. So like there, like the power level is just through the roof. These are still limited decks. They're just very good limited decks and you have to find yeah. the right one from your pool but I, I always felt like i could compete and even the first pool we opened was not good and we still got six wins through you know i think the correct build which credit to adam i wouldn't have come up with it and some really tight gameplay from the three of us that's awesome yeah it's a, it's a great event and you just informed me that when they run out of the festival in a box product they're just gonna grant 250 dollars. they're just gonna get 250 dollar check yeah, and that I, I, I wallet or whatever it's called, the e wallet. 
Yeah, you're going to get 250 yeah. cash as soon as they run out of product. So, so I, start jamming the third weekend once they're out of product and you won't even have to resell. Well, and in, in the holiday tradition for the week, we are going to be doing a bit of a, a grab bag of topics. We'll chat about the Festival in a Box sealed event since it will be coming back one more weekend. I'll be talking about Pioneer. Boop, 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 boop. You can fast forward through that. We're going to talk about cons as well. That'll be the main focus, looking at the dance that we alluded to last week of passing back and forth with mana up. So a uh, fun, laid back, low key, sick day episode for me ben <laughs> i'm so sorry I, I feel it coming on i've got some gunk in the back of my throat but i'm not quite as bad as you yet apologies that i, I infected you from across the airwaves <laughs> a few housekeeping things to take care of and then we'll dive into the episode first things first is the patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose you know we say it each and every week it's the season of giving i get very reflective around the holidays i, I cannot be more thankful for Patreon as a platform for the folks that encouraged us to start a Patreon six years ago. It is now, um, I believe, December uh, six years ago is when we started it. And just the outpouring of support we get each and every week. People come, people go, we get it. Like, you're interested in magic wanes, your ability to support wanes, you're interested in our show wanes. But like, when it waxes, people come back. And I really, really appreciate that. And just love seeing people learning from each other and the community we've cultivated in our Discord, which is, of course, uh, the base level that everybody who gives back via the Patreon gets access to. A bunch of other perks as you move up the reward tier rankings, access to our show notes, access to the episode a day early ad-free, and even access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any or all of that sounds of interest to you, head on over to the Patreon page, and we want to thank our patrons the first week that they join. So this week, we are welcoming Truffy, Damark, Wandering Winder, and Michael Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Man, you really pushed through that there. You are a champion. It's the first time I think ever in podcast history I've I felt you running out of breath. That Carnegie Mellon BFA training coming to bear. <laughs> yeah, seriously, cannot say thank you enough. I just want to co-sign what Ethan said. I, I, I think I am not quite as reflective as you around the holidays, but do do some reflecting and was just thinking like this past week, how thankful I am for the podcast and you as a co-host and all of those other things. So really appreciate everyone who has been a patron, who's thought about being a patron, who has listened to the show. You know, it, it all supports the show, whether you're able to give monetarily or not. So thank you to everyone in the Lords of Illuminated community. Show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc. CoolStuffInc.com. It's Christmas time. You're listening to this probably on Christmas, the day after Christmas, maybe. And maybe you didn't get that sealed box of Lost Caverns of Ixalan that you wanted for the closet. And maybe, like Ethan, you're into some Pioneer and you need four copies of Smuggler's Copter. Whatever the case may be, whatever magic gifts you were hoping to get at Christmas time that didn't come your way, now is the time to treat yourself. You know what you need. You've got all those Christmas gifts in and you know, I need this, 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 and this for my Pioneer competition, or I need this booster box for my next Chaos Draft, or maybe... You've been trying and trying and trying in the festival in a box, Chaos Sealed. You haven't gotten there, and you just want to buy 24 different packs to have your own Chaos Draft. Whatever the case may be, please do all of your shopping at CoolStuffInc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock. And make sure you use checkout code LOL, all caps, to get 5% off your order. When you check out, let them know that we sent you over there as well. Speaking of gifts and of Cool Stuff, Inc., I got a great little mail day the other oh, day. I saw some sleeves for you to wrap in the paper. Okay, time out. You are not going to be able to shuffle 80 cards. There's no way. I'll have a judge do it. I heard you can do that. <laughs> Is that really true? Yeah. 
<laughs> you should do that every round. That would be hysterical. Oh my God, can you please do that? I think I can shuffle 80 cards. I mean, I can barely shuffle 60 cards, so 80 cards will be a lot. Also, like a week ago, I didn't think I was playing this deck, so who knows? We'll, have you... We'll, have you What's the closest to double-sleeved 80 cards you've ever shuffled? I'm not going to double-sleeve an 80-card deck. I'm not going to do it. Single-sleever over here, folks. The cards aren't worth that much in blue-white. I don't know. You don't want your precious Sky Noodle to get bent. I guess it's not going to get shuffled. It'll live in the the sideboard. Exactly. Yeah, it's pristine. Off to the side, baby. What what percentage of practicing, your practice time will be dedicated to shuffling 80 cards if you choose blue-white Yorian? 5%? 10%? You and our YouTube audience knows that I am a twitchy magic player. (laughs) So you better believe that once I know... Well, it's tough on MTGO because MTGO and with blue-white control specifically, you have to act fast. Like, I have my pinky finger on F2. I have my pointer finger on F6. Because you can you can never F6 with that deck, basically. Like, unless you're tapped out. You can never pass priority like that. But it's, like, I got in the mirror yesterday in this tournament. I definitely, it was definitely, like, match one. I was like, I okay, my opponent has two minutes on me. I need to play much faster. <laughs> oh, so wow. That, that we can, like, make this, because we were going to go to time for it, sure. Isn't that going to be even slower in paper? Yes, but, well... Not really, because you don't have to be like at every phase. You don't have to be like okay, F two, F two, okay, yeah, exactly. It's a little bit more. There's a bit more flow of the conversation, but yeah, I got cool stuff ink sleeves in the mail. I got four copies of Smuggler's Copter that now I may not be using. Who knows? But thank you to that dear listener who sent them my way. Um, yeah, the holidays are great and huge announcement. I've been sitting on this for a long time. Big announcement. Big announcement. So PT Schmitty, we're going to MC Chicago in February, Ben. And on Sunday, we are going to be part of the main stage doing a live Lords of Limited podcast. Let's so go. hyped. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be incredible. So if you had told, I was thinking about this. This was where my reflecting was coming in. Once we, once this was like official, official, because we've known about this for a while. We couldn't tell the world. Like 12-year-old me would be so psyched right now. Like if if he knew this was happening, like, and also probably wouldn't believe it. Like just incredible that we're getting an opportunity to do this. I also think the episode is just going to be an absolute banger, right? Because it's going to be your behind the scenes PT prep. So instead of like doing all the, well, what would we do if we were in the PT? Like you're in it and we get a debrief from the draft that you've done. Like, oh yeah, it's going to be phenomenal. So if you are not headed to Chicago or if you are on the fence, you better get there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be awesome. This is very exciting. There's going to be a, a select few folks because we did this on our own in uh, Vegas in 2019. The select few folks who have attended both of our live podcast episodes. Very yeah. exciting. You're going to want to cross that off the old bucket list for sure. And I was just looking at the other events that are on the main stage. It's like all presentations from Watsi employees, game nights, and then us <laughs> which is wild one of these things doesn't belong right that's definitely how i feel um and speaking of game nights shout out to josh lee Kwai who got in touch with me i think maybe heard me say it or, or saw me on twitter say it got in touch with me and josh lee Kwai for i mean he's just a great guy but for whatever reason has been a champion of our show like from the jump i remember like before i really knew who he was he reached out to us and i was like Oh, wow. This dude is a big deal. He's awesome. He put me in touch with who organizes the panels um, at these magic cons. And so really, really excited to get to do that. So hyped for that. I honestly, 
I know this is blasphemy. I am more excited for that than the PT. No. Get out of here. I am. Of course I am. That's wild. I would be more yeah. excited for the PT, I think. I don't know. You'd be more I, excited for the PT, says the man who's like, I don't want to practice a constructed deck. I, I wouldn't. But I just do have checked that off the bucket list, although this is also a huge bucket list item. Like, yeah. Not, not, even, not even an item that I knew I wanted to be on my bucket list, but like when you floated it out there and it seemed like it was actually going to happen, I, yeah, I don't know. Just so incredibly thankful for everything that's happened with the podcast and, you know, season of reflecting all that. Thanks to you for, I think, pushing to continually grow the podcast through YouTube, through sponsors, through ad reads. Like you are responsible for the bulk of cool things like this happening for us. And I I really appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Uh, All right. Enough of that mushy gushy stuff. Let's get to an ad read, which I also am going to be doing a little bit of a Christmas gift for you and our listeners for this ad read, Ben. Oh, so, so no fast forwarding, folks. Well, you know, you do, you do what you want to do, but uh, but I'm going to be bringing back Best of One Bob. Ooh, let's go. So here he is, folks. Hi there, folks. Give yourself the gift of insane savings this holiday season with Mint Mobile's best wireless deal of the year. Right now, when you switch to Mint Mobile and buy any three-month plan, you'll get another three months for free. That's six months of premium wireless service for the price of three. Call to the feast. Dinner's ready. Grim Captain's call. Wrong number. Call the cavalry. 222 White Knight. That number again is 222 White Knight. I I can keep going. (laughs) You can. I think we get the gist. Okay. Uh, Mint Mobile lets you order and activate from home while saving tons on phone plans, starting at just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's a different kind of magic, turning an overpriced wireless bill into just $15 a month with Mint Mobile. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily and effortlessly with eSIM. Or if you need a new device, for a limited time, get six months of free service when you buy a select device and plan for a limited time buy any three month mint mobile plan and get three more months free by going to mintmobile.com slash lol that's mintmobile.com slash lol new customers only additional taxes and fees and restrictions apply see mint mobile for details all right ben you've been jamming the festival in a box sealed and it's coming back so it's, it's here this weekend by the time the episode comes out it'll be gone but it'll be back again next weekend the 29th to the 31st what's going on well how can we get our listeners $250. Ooh, yeah. If you first of all, if you've not done this, I mean, the entry cost is steep. I I wish there were a lower EV payout, like a lower lower entry fee, lower prize for people who just want to participate and not play it so high stakes cuz it, it is fun enough that I would be playing it over cons nonstop. I think if the entries weren't 5000 gems, like even for me, that is a bit Rich 25 for my bucks bl- right yeah, it's if a bit you- rich for my blood and like kind of free rolling because we you know my brothers and i six owed or six one our first two so like already way up on money and it still feels bad like i did two more after that so i went two for four I, clearly i'm hopeless without my brothers they carried me through the first two <laughs> I went one two and two two or something two two and two three i don't remember didn't didn't get very far didn't even get to the gems but yeah the format is incredible so it also just horrible EV, right? If you live outside the United States, so like basically no reason to participate because you can't 
win the festival in a box. So hopefully, you know, you had mentioned this before the show, hopefully if they run out of product, they can then announce that and then people Mm -hmm. in the EU can participate and get the $250, then they wouldn't have to limit the prizes to only US. That would be a a wonderful solution to let people outside the US play. Yeah. And not that it's only Europe, Asia, whatever, you know, the the rest of the world. (laughs) Classic Western centric brain. (laughs) Uh, Guilty. I'm sorry. So yeah, I I wish there were a cheaper. So yes, all that being said, I wish there were a, a cheaper entry fee, cheaper prize payout so that everyone could participate. But if you haven't, and you're able to get 5,000 gems and afford that, it is a blast to do. This has been the most fun I've had playing Magic in a long, long, long time, just because it feels so much like that feeling I had when I was a kid building decks. Now, maybe if you don't enjoy pouring over sealed pools like Ethan Sachs, maybe maybe this is not for you, but you've had a blast playing them all, so you're just quicker than me, I guess. Yeah, no, I just haven't, like, I don't love the drag each color. Like, I just want to, like, I just look over the cards and like get it. Like, I feel like I can get a sense for them for the the strength of my colors, where I'm being pulled without like painstakingly dragging columns down (laughs) into the deck, you know? Well, but there's something to be said for, at least for me, with all of the different sets mashed up, I'm way less good about recognizing what the card is like by just the card name and the casting cost. Like, yes, I really I have to like Z over each card and zoom to see what each card is. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess we just have slightly different methods. But yeah. all, all told, I think it is a wonderful experience and I think really rewards good deck building fundamentals and knowing what your pool's strength and weaknesses are. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Can we like it's so hard to talk about sealed without getting bogged down. Is there any way for us to be able to like chat about this in the abstract, maybe give some examples so that our listeners out there who are maybe like, yeah, I can fire a bullet or I can fire two bullets at this, like to give them their best shot. Yeah, I would say thing number one would be spend a lot of time building your pool, especially if you're only going to take one shot. Like I I literally, you know, at a pre-release or whatever, I I would be done building my deck in 10 minutes, you know, like 15 minutes. I would not spend a lot of time on a sealed build. And I think I've spent an hour on these builds pretty easily or close to it and could have spent more time if I wanted to hem and haul or whatever. So if you're somebody that gets enjoyment out of that, don't be afraid to take a long time and have multiple people like friends look at your your pool because I do think finding the right build or finding a very good build is one, one of the best ways to, I think, get an edge in the format. And the, the biggest tip I could give as far as you know doing those builds, is I think you really want every single one of your 23 cards to stand on its own merits. And then if you can, like within that also get pockets of synergy or, you know, overarching game plans, but like you cannot put any filler in your deck in this format. I don't think like drawing your two mana two two that you put in to make your curve a little bit better because you wanted to play your bomb rare in a certain color is disastrous. Like I think because pools are deep enough that people are going to build very good decks, not insane decks, but you're going to consistently be playing against very good decks. And when you play your two mana two two and your opponent is playing C pluses, B minuses, Bs, you know, all the way through, you're just going to get outclassed in card quality. Yeah, there's a, a pool. We've got two example pools or decks that we're going to look out. One that I have is um, from the Lord's Limited Discord from our, our Patreon hero tier. Someone had messaged us to have them look at their pool. And they what I landed on, and we'll talk about why maybe in a little bit, but was a blue, red, splashing white control list. And 
in the blue category, you had three options for two mana cantrips, basically. Like, they're all sort of variations on look at three, pick one. But this deck is particularly interested in dealing with the graveyard for a number of reasons, but largely because it has Leer, Disciple of the Drowned. It's three blue, blue for a three, four. Spells can't be countered, and each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard has flashback. The flashback cost is equal to that card's mana cost. And so something like Curate, Surveil 2, then draw a card, or Moment of Truth, which is look at the top three, one into your hand, one into the graveyard, one into the bottom of your library, actually have synergy. Like they they rise up. You know, you need some, you know, when you're passing with, as we'll get to later in the episode, as you're passing with your mana up for your burn spells or your removal spells, you also want to have some other stuff. You got a counter spell, you got a draw spell, whatever. And so those slot in nicely. They rise above the sort of D, D plus replacement level, but not so much that we're putting in experimental augury from one, the one in a blue, look at the top three, put one into your hand, the rest on the bottom, proliferate. That just, it, it looks on face, I think, like, oh, those are all three the same, so why don't you play all three? It's like, well, augury's not really doing anything else for the deck. Well, and just looking at this deck in the abstract also, and I think this is true for me from what I've seen so far. So I've done five of these events. I did one the first time it came around and then four this time around. And I've watched other people play some on stream. The two best styles of decks, I think, are decks that are able to operate at instant speed that can play blue, like that have whatever color paired with blue that has instant speed removal and then blue counter spells and card draw. So you can kind of play a draw go style of deck. And then what that that style of deck lets you do is shut down the decks that are just like trying to resolve two or three of their key bombs. Like those decks are very good at beating those decks. And then you take advantage of the people that played filler to play their bombs or whatever. So uh, like a draw go style control deck that's playing blue and another color that's got instant speed removal. Plus, I mean, you've got to have your own good rares and good two for ones and things like that alongside those other cards. But that as a game plan or just like threat, 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 removal, 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 like just jamming tier one threats and tier one removal spells in your deck and being pretty low to the ground. And so, I mean, as I think we often feel like in sealed is it's a don't be mid range life. Is that what you're saying? Well, and I don't even think like, don't be inefficient. Like you have to have a good curve. Like I, I think you're supposed to be deck building under the assumption that everyone you're playing against has a good curve, can curve out on you. Everyone has removal and will have timely removal spells and will have their own bombs that you're going to have to deal with. Like you need to be managing all of those factors while you're you're building your deck. Yes. And one of the reasons those draw go decks are so effective is nine pack from nine different sets sealed. It's impossible to play around things. Yes. Like in a normal <laughs> in one set, in a limited format that's one set, it's very, you know, after you've got your reps in whatever to be like, okay, the likely cards you have in this spot are XYZ. Here it's the whole alphabet and then some. Like I don't know how you're <laughs> you just you just sort of have you can't, as we'll get to later, you can't do the dance. You kind of have to jam and make them have it. Just be like, oh, look, I can't read you for anything. I can't peg you for one thing or another, because if I say you're going to zig, you might zag, and then I get punished for not being mana efficient or not actually playing my best threat, whatever. Like the sort of strictures of the format dictate that you kind of just have to play into a lot of stuff, I think. Well, and it's especially tough to play against blue decks that have open mana because, like, you really want to stick your bomb on curve, but like, you also 
can't afford to get it countered, you know, like, especially if you're relying on key cards for your deck. So that's what I mean when I, I say like, you can't play filler, because when you're faced with those choices against decks that are operating at instant speed, it's just disastrous. If your opponent answers like your three or four key cards, and then your deck rolls over and dies because your opponent has 23 cards that stand on their own and you had like 15 cards that stand on their own and two bombs and then, you know, whatever, seven cards that are not up to snuff with everything else that's being played in the game. Yeah, this blue, red, splash, white deck that I landed on from this pool, and we'll link these both in the show notes if you want to play along at home. I wouldn't have wanted to splash. Like, I think I would have loved for this deck to just be blue, red, but it just didn't quite get there in terms of like I couldn't find the last two or three cards in blue or red that I felt like did stand on their own that weren't filler and in another world I might just go well that's fine whatever just play like some curve filler stuff some like you play that experimental augury whatever I just didn't feel like that was worth it but I did see that I could get some power out of my lands with a uh, creature land from whoa restless bivouac the red white creature land 2-2 when it attacks you put a counter on a creature you control and so then ended up splashing a couple of white removal spells because of that, because I was like, well, I can do this red, white duel, this red, white duel, this white, blue fetch, and then have access to a couple of white removal spells. And that helped bump up the power level rather than going like, well, we'll just play a couple replacement filler cards. Well, and it answers one of the things we talk about when we talk about splashing and sealed. It answers a key hole in your blue red deck. Your blue red deck can't deal with big threats that have stopped right. on the battlefield and right. destroy evil and fierce retribution, which are the two white spells you added, deal with large monsters that would otherwise just run away with the game. So you really have to shore up all of your bases that way in the interaction department. But you also then simultaneously can't overload on interaction because some decks are just two for one, you two for one, you two for one, you two for one, you. Right, exactly. So if we take a look at the sealed pool, I think this has been the the best sealed pool I've had so far. This was the second pool my brothers and I built. So if you take a look at it uh, and you sort by rares, we have like some really premium rares. There's Mural Shield of Argive, three and a white, three, four. During your turn, your opponents can't cast spells or activate abilities of artifacts, creatures, or enchantments. And whenever it attacks, you make a 1-1. And whenever it attacks, you make X 1-1 soldier artifact creature tokens, where X is the number of soldiers you control, and Mural itself is a soldier. So it just starts this snowball effect. And Nissa Ascended Animus, the Planeswalker from Phyrexia, all will be one. The 3GG plus two uh, Phyrexian green mana. And then, you know, it either comes with three, five, or seven loyalty, depending on how much mana you played, and makes XXs where X is Nissa's loyalty, can blow up artifacts and champions, just a stone cold bomb. And then there's also Liesa, Forgotten Archangel, which is two white, white Oof. for black, four, five flying lifelink. Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, another one, not Liesa herself, uh, return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. And if a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. Like that card is incredible, but also like ultimately answerable, right? Like on turn yeah. five, if you tap out for Liesa and you built your whole deck around Liesa and your opponent just goes, you know, whatever, uh, snuff out, which is not a card in this format. <laughs> Doomblade, not a card in this format. I'm blanking on the names of black removal spells, but you get my drift that like, I think the bombs are excellent. And if they line up with the other cards, you absolutely should play them. And we built a white green splash black deck and we had white. We had lands to facilitate the splash of the Asa in our base white green black deck. But ultimately, we're like three or four cards short, kind of an awkward curve, really relying on bombs and ended up actually just building a blue black control deck. One of the like similar to your blue red deck, a, a just a draw go control deck that left all of those bombs 
on the sideboard. Wow. And just played Haughty Gin, which was another rare, the one blue blue X4 flyer. Um, power equal the number of instant sorcery cards in your graveyard and makes instants and sorcery spells you cast cost one less. And also there's a mind link mech in this pool as well, which is the, the tuna blue four, three flyer when it becomes crude for the first time each turn. Um, that becomes a, a copy of that creature and still is a 4-3 flying vehicle. Left that in the sideboard as well, just because we were only running like 10 creatures. And oh, you, wow. you, you really want, I think, every card to stand on their own. And, and Mind Link Mech does not in a, in a blue-black draw-go control style deck. And, and the deck played like a dream. And blue is really deep. Black had good removal, had card advantage, had counter spells. Like it checked all the boxes for a stereotypical blue-black control deck. Well, speaking of control decks, can I... Can I twist your ear about Constructed for a second? Lay it on me, baby. All right. So I played in the Pioneer Super Qualifier Tournament this weekend, um, which was a 260-person tournament, nine rounds before the top eight of Constructed on Saturday. So spent my day mostly going to time in the round and then sometimes <laughs> sometimes finishing a bit early and then you know doing some laundry or whatever around the house. I just have a, a bunch of random notes that I want to uh, sort of throw out here that we'll chat about. One, Constructed is very hard. Like, just full stop, it's very hard. But inferior to Limited, right? Way less fun than Limited, though I am... Like, <laughs> I am having fun. Oh, playing. no. I knew I, I knew I was going to lose you to this. <laughs> You're not going to lose me, but I have been playing like I played, I don't know, 40 matches with Blue White Yorian this week. I have a I have a Mana Traders account now to rent decks on MTGO. I'm going Look, you you want me to queue for the y'all want me to queue for the PT, and then you don't want me to. Now you're like, wait, you can't actually try to do well. You can't top eight. The, the show is going to get true. canceled if you top eight. <laughs> no, no worries. But I did place thirty second out of two sixty, which was nice. Just squeaked into that next little payout bump of treasure chests in the tournament. Um, so I went six and three. Speaking of treasure chests and EV on Magic Online, we should shout out, if you have a Magic Online account, you have a free oh, yeah. vintage cube draft waiting for you on your Magic Online account, if you didn't know that. So maybe time to uh, dust off Magic Online and, and give it a little update and uh, fire up a holiday vintage cube draft for free. And not that anyone, I'm sure, who listens to our show needs me to you know shout out his YouTube channel, but Luis Scott Vargas has oh. a... like. A pure cube YouTube channel where he is dropping a draft literally every day. I think he's dropped a draft every day for the last six months, seven months. And Vintage Cube has changed a lot, Ben, since so the days much. of Balanced Gargadon. And I have really learned a lot from watching. It fe- I feel like I'm I'm back 10 years ago, you know, watching LSV's YouTube videos and learning a lot and then going and trying to apply what he's doing. I just feel like he, I mean, he clearly, now that he's doing this every day, like, understands these cubes so intensely and is really good at articulating like why he's doing what he's doing and where cards go. And I, I just feel like that helped me to, even though I try as I might to train wreck my cube drafts, I turned my uh, my free draft into 100 play points. Okay, here's the question. Yes. What is higher right now? Your constructed ELO or your limited ELO on MTGO? Definitely my constructed ELO. Oh my God. That's, Isn't that crazy? That's such a disaster. That's so embarrassing for you. <laughs> They're both low, to be fair, <laughs> but uh, but my constructed low is higher. So so here's here's how much I should not be trying to do anything in constructed. So I am very lucky to be part of a, a testing team, Team Sanctum of All, featuring previous PT champs like Autumn Burchett and Jake Beardsley. It's an awesome community of folks. 
and I was playing blue white control and I was like, does anyone ever think about like D sideboarding Yorian? Like when you're playing against aggro, so you can find your sweepers more often. And someone was like, that's not a legal game action unless (laughs) (laughs) your sideboard can't have more than 15 cards. So unless you're registering less than a 14 card sideboard to start, you can't D sideboard down to like 30 cards in your sideboard. I was like, "Hmm." Yep, kept on. That would have been hilarious to be trying to do that. (laughs) Judge, judge. Oh my god! So I saw that the blue white Yorian deck won the RC, and then I was looking to see if there was any YouTube content about the deck. And System Magic, which is a YouTube and Twitch channel helmed by Andrew Ellenbogen, another previous PT champion, and they had Dan Weiser who won the RC on about six months ago he had i guess won another tournament with the deck and you know it was like the old days watching along with them playing the deck you know a decision would come up i'd pause and think like what would i do then unpause and just be drastically wrong (laughs) and the thing that i kept coming up against was patience like it's just these control decks require so much patience and what you were talking about earlier which is a knowledge of the format you have to know like what cards really matter in each matchup. Like I was just taking a lot of my limited heuristics and applying them to constructed because I thought they would be the same, like mana efficiency or, you know, whatever. Like that's just so ingrained in me that like I pass with a counter spell, they cast a thing, I can counter it. I should counter it, right? (laughs) Wrong. Like you're playing against red, black mid range and they cast bone crusher giant. And the thing also, like, I can't imagine how many reps Dan Weiser has with this deck at this point, but every decision, he's st- there's no snap judgments. He's always like, well, yeah, we could or we couldn't. Let's think about it. But I was like, oh, man, like, you just have to be so patient to know, like, that doesn't matter. My life total's fine. I can take a hit or two and then I'll answer it later. So like playing against Blue Red Phoenix, the card that matters is Treasure Cruise. Like you cannot let them resolve treasure cruise. Try as I might, and as I understand that, they always resolve treasure cruise. <laughs> Somehow they always they just get me. In blue white, the blue white mirror, which I had to play three times yesterday at the end of the tournament, you can't resolve to ferret. You cannot let them resolve that. The Amalia combo deck, giving them a window to combo off pre-combat is really important because like you don't want them to be able to attack in with their giant Amalia. Then there's also like sideboarding leveling wars, where like you know, like, okay, I'm going to bring in my graveyard hate for Phoenix. And they're like, well, I know you're going to bring in your graveyard hate. So I, I'm just going to take out my Phoenixes and play crackling Drakes and fable of the mirror breaker instead. But isn't that just a guessing game then? Like, I, like that's just a crapshoot, right? Like who wins that war? Definitely more than a crapshoot, right? But you're just guessing about whether or not they're going to take, what if, what if, they know that you know they're going to take out their things That's and put crackling drakes in so that you're not going to side in your graveyard hate. So they just keep in the phoenixes then. Like everybody's just going like, I hope I did what my opponent does. Like there's no strategy there, right? That's just guessing. There, there has to be strategy. I don't know what it is yet. Sideboarding is a complete mystery to me. <laughs> in constructed. I know how to do it in limited. Yeah. <laughs> there's no deck swap packages in limited. I know. I wish, there, I wish there was, but apparently it's illegal to do. You can't decide or decompan <laughs> your, your Yorian. I, so, I really am rooting for you to have a judge shuffle your deck at least once at the PT. I don't know why that like, entertains me so much, but I think that would be a great game. Can you shuffle gag. this for me? I'm tired. <laughs> so that's my foray into uh, into Constructed this week, and um, I'll, I'll keep you all posted. I don't even know who you are. You're just name dropping all these cool people that you're going to start hanging out with instead of me. I'm going to be left by the wayside. I just know it. Folks, Excuse me. mark this down. 
This is the end, the slow end of Lords of Limited. When the podcast gets canceled, it started right here. We're going to play this clip for you. Sir, you're you're going to be on the main stage at MagicCon Chicago. You're a veritable who's who of the community. <laughs> All right, so the episode is called Can I Have This Dance? What is the dance? We alluded to this last week. I loved your description of this, this idea of like the passing with mana back and forth. Are you going to, who's going to blink first? the game of chicken, whatever that is, that dance, I think exists in all limited formats, but it's so pronounced in KTK. Well, it's, it's so big. Yeah, it's such a huge part of the games, and there's so much mana that gets invested into doing the dance. Well, to me, it's about controlling who has open mana and when they have access to that open mana. So I think rule number one for cons of Tarkir, as far as limited gameplay heuristics goes, you cannot attack into open mana ever like i try to avoid attacking into open mana at all costs unless i have like two things that i know can swing the combat in my favor after attacking and i i never want to attack and flip a morph into open mana that is just like asking to get riggedy wrecked in this format yeah so to be clear you're are you talking more you're not talking about attacking full stop you're talking specifically or, or generally about morph morph on morph violence? No, I, I am talking about attacking. I, I will not. I try very you're hard. You're telling me you have a flipped woolly loxodon, a big bad 6-7. You're not attacking that into open mana with like a couple of morphs on your opponent? Like your opponent has five mana untapped, two morphs. You're not attacking with your woolly loxodon? Come on. Maybe. Not if they're white and they could have What's kill the- shot. What's the worst? Like, oh, no. the remo- They kill your thing? Yeah, that's not great. I, they're in such a powerful spot there. Like, magic favors the defender, and in cons of Tarkir, when you have open mana as the defender, world is your oyster. I, if I had a flipped Woolly Loxodon, but something weird has had to have happened if the game is at that stage where I already have yeah, a flipped yeah, Woolly yeah. Loxodon and they have two unmorphed <laughs> morphs. Well, that's, that's why I'm saying, like, I do feel like it's more likely that it's things tussling of similar size sure and then i don't i don't want to do it into open mana like i I do not want to do it into open mana or like also for example like my opponents have constantly made this misplay against me where like i have whatever a three three but i have open mana and maybe not even a morph like maybe i just have open mana and they'll attack into you with their morph and they'll pay to like you block with your three three and they're like "Ah, i gotcha I'm going to pay my mana to flip my morph and eat your creature. And then you kill shot, you force away, you do whatever. And it's just the most savage blowout. You you cannot flip morphs into open mana in this format. Like you just should not do it. So this this idea of like, I don't know, light lighting people's mana on fire. I'm using like air quotes a lot. They, this kind of exists in every format. I remember us a long time ago, back when these kinds of effects were expensive, like four mana to kill an attacking or blocking creature or whatever in white. We had a whole thing in one of the core sets where that card existed. And you're a big champion of this of like, you know, if your opponent is passing with that as their option and you read them for that pretty confidently, you can time walk them effectively if you choose not to attack, if you just develop your board a little bit more. It's a little trickier when like they have the, a morph that they could also flip or whatever. Yeah. Like right, it's they a little trickier. Right. So so cons really like heightens that. Like it exists in every format. There's a little bit of a game of like, oh, you probably have this, so I don't want to play into it. Then there's also a sort of, as we'll talk about in a bit, of like, you can reach a point where you run out of options. You, you know, maybe you were like, 
okay, cool. I can do something. I don't have to flip my morph. I can cast this draw spell or I can cast this removal spell, whatever. But then you're sort of at a, at eventually at a point where you're like, I either am going to spend this mana to flip a morph or not. Like, is that worth it? Is it worth it to keep the guessing game going or keep the dance going? We'll talk about that, about that in a bit. But I feel like you have a pretty keen sense for this aspect of the game. Yes, I think this is one of the things I'm best at at Magic is like this big push pull of who needs to be doing what when. But so there's, so there's that style of deck, right? Like, if you're playing a later game deck in cons, you want to try to have open mana and force your opponent into taking game actions into your open mana while you have optionality with open mana. But the, the other side of the spectrum, which is also there, is aggro decks. And I think aggro decks try to control who has open mana by like starting the game sooner than your opponent wants to and forcing the opponent to tap out every turn, which is why cards like, you know, Valley Dasher is playable in certain niche decks or why Singing Bell Strike is playable in Jeskai Aggro decks. Singing Bell Strike is a terrible magic card at face value, right? It's one in a blue, tap something down, keep it tapped down, and then you can pay six to untap it. So like if your opponent makes it to the late game, you know, they can have their creature back. But if they don't make it to the late game, you you made a Doom Blade for yourself, right? And then your opponent tries to play a thing to block. Like they tap out to try to block. You singing Bell Strike. Next turn, they play a thing to try to block, tap out, you singing bell strike. So you're just trying to put your opponent on the back foot and keep them from leveraging that power of you having to attack into open mana as the aggro deck. So to me, those are the two two axes that kind of the dance operates on. And so there's so there's aggro on, on late game dance. Like that's one kind of dance where you're like as the late game deck, you're just trying to, can I get to a turn where I have open mana and kind of control things? What time signature would you say that dance is in? <laughs> I don't know, like six eight. It's okay, a good, okay. A good solid like flow. Actually, it might be a little more frantic. It might be seven eight. It might be a little more uh, Ooh, more okay. tense. Yeah, great. Uh, and then the control on control that that's probably a little more six eight. A nice even compound. Yeah, either. yeah. So control on control is just but the first two open mana and, and or having a mana advantage on the opponent. Like if you stumble on lands in the control mirror, you're in huge trouble. Well, because you are then if you're stumbling on lands you're gonna be forced to blink first right you're gonna be forced to blink first and there also is like a thing that happens we talked about this being a tempo format that starts on turn five there also is a thing that happens where if you play too many morphs like you just never have time to flip them all like if you once you get four morphs on the battlefield like yeah you get a lot of optionality but you're like almost priced into single spelling every turn there is a sweet spot of morphs versus other cheap interactive spells that you would also ideally like to hit so, yeah, when I think about the dance in terms of cons, I think about it more as this, the control on control, the 6-8, the like, you go, I go, you know, it's it's sort of what happens in the blue-white control mirror in Pioneer of like, everything is happening on each other's end steps, you know, and you're just like, okay, but if I tap out for this counter spell and then you untap, you might get to do this. There's a lot of like, okay, it does, okay, you flipped this morph, do I need to respond with anything? No. Okay, you attacked. I'm not going to do anything. You didn't do anything. I'll just cast this draw spell. Like, I think of it like that kind of a dance that then erupts in this like, I flipped a morph. I flipped my morph. You cast Feet of Resistance. I cast Force Away. Like, right. This huge eruption on the stack, you know? Yes, the control on control frequently turns into one giant turn. And if you win the battle, <laughs> you win yeah. the war. But so if we just talk about like instant speed optionality, because I think 
that is the most powerful thing you can do in the format is get to that point where you have you you are passing with open mana. And if your opponent takes no game actions, which you're fine with, then you get to flip a morph for free on their end step. Like that's the dream, right? Like that you get to flip morphs without your opponent, like doing meaningful things to the board state or risk of you getting blown out. So I, I think the first thing to talk about is just rules for flipping morphs. First of all, it's very dangerous. <laughs> you should flip morphs, flip morphs with caution. I think you cannot flip a morph if your opponent has any open mana that's representing anything that can wreck you, which would be, be it, you know, if you're attacking a feat of resistance on blocks, a kill shot, a force away, like any instant speed interactive spells, don't flip your morphs and don't make attacks that would force you to flip your morphs. Certainly. I definitely wouldn't have an example of that later on in our show. <laughs> I have one from my opponents. That's just brutal. And if you flip a morph to push damage rather than advancing your board, I think generally when you're faced with that option, you would rather just if like you you attack with an unblocked morph and even if it's woolly locks on, you're going to push six damage. If you can play other things to add to the board, I think the heuristic is to add to the board rather than flip your morph. But let's say you're going to flip your morph to try to push damage. Think about what happens if your opponent on the following turn bounces or kills your woolly locks on or whatever it is, even if it's an Abzan guide. I mean, that one's a little safer because you get the life swing. I was going to say that's just about the only one that I that I can remember consistently feeling OK, just like flipping that for you still no feel great. you just feel you still okay. don't feel great but you're like you're like well this is my option for the turn and i'm gonna do it because i know i'm gonna swing this for life and if they untap and they throttle it or bounce it whatever so be it right that's i think that is the one exception but if you're gonna be significantly behind after your opponent kills your flipped morph don't flip it like just advance your board so thinking about what happens a turn later after you flip the morph too yeah so you've got this unmorph option you talked about this last week. You were like, it's a cancel format. And I was like, I don't really know about this. I am. I don't I don't know if I'm fully a cancel believer, but I am a disdainful stroke believer for sure. In my two runs last weekend in the arena open day two, I had a deck where I sided in disdainful stroke every game for every match rather for all four matches. And then I was like, well, this should have just been in my main deck then. And then I had three. I think I was maybe playing one. No, I was playing none three in the sideboard of my second deck brought all three in, in the final match. Just like, painful strokes. Yeah. Stable stroke is really good. Well, like, cause I just kept getting caught up in the only things that matter are morphs. Like where it was like, you're just countering morphs. And it's not really true because like, yeah, morphs sometimes they do matter. Sometimes they don't. But, and if they're being cast down as morphs, you can't disdainful stroke them. But like everything else, like there are, Creatures that people are playing that cost four or more, for sure. A lot of the removal and card draw, like, costs more than four. Right. You're getting to counter, and even if it's being delved, like Murderous Cut or Treasure Cruise, but like then Bitter Re Revelation, all those two-for-ones or three-for-ones, those are counterable. The expensive removal is counterable. Like, God forbid they cast whatever, Right of the Sper Serpent, and you disdainful stroke that, and then get to do something else. It's it's really good. Well, and also later in the game, too, people are more incentivized to play their morphs face yes. up because of mana efficiency. So you do sometimes right. get morphs late in the game, too. That's yeah. one reason I like cancel. I mean, it's not quite as mana efficient as Disdainful Stroke, but cancel helps you. And you were talking about the control on control mirror. Cancel helps you win that turn where like stuff hits the fan. And like you need to win yeah. the explosion of whatever. Cancel is a, a very safe feeling to start that battle when you've got the cancel. Classic again. Ben. You I just like want a, the warm the warm fuzzies. I like a warm fuzzy feeling, what can I say? So then there's also interaction. We've talked about it a bit. The removal, there's murderous cut. 
maybe do i even dare say that i owe an apology to throttle i don't think you owe an apology to throttle no <laughs> i feel like i i feel like i might <laughs> i mean it well, is a card that you can put in your deck and feel it's an instant speed okay instant speed removal sort of kind of maybe five mana combat trick i don't know bounce we've talked about force away and water whirl oh, water whirl is so good i love that card so much <laughs> And obviously, King of the Tricks is Feet of Resistance. It's not even really a trick. Like, I don't feel like calling it a combat trick does it justice. It's like a Where trump card. Feet of Resistance is a trump card. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. People are like, people are like, hearts, okay, following suit, following suit, nine of spades, get wrecked, whatever. <laughs> Where are you at with playing combat tricks? You know, tricks that can win these these wars like dragon scale boon two counters or awaken the bear or you know even something like uh, become immense like where are you at with playing tricks in non-assertive decks i'll always play become immense because i just think it's a very powerful card but the others i won't play outside of decks that are trying to force the opponent to tap out like that's when dragon scale boon especially gets good and awaken the bear to a certain extent like if you're going two drop three drop savage punch and your opponent is constantly having to tap out to keep up with you that's when you get to leverage those tricks and then the last piece of this instant speed puzzle is card draw which really again unless we're talking about rares and there's dig through time but really only weave fate well, treasure way- cruise. well but it's that's a sorcery yeah but it's one mana if you do it right if you do it right yeah yeah so i'm, I'm not saying that right right well your opponent actually just casting sorcery speed ancestral is pretty pretty darn good but you know when i'm talking about when you're passing with open mana up optionality right and, and five mana is really the key when when we have these control on control violence mirrors i do feel like it's a bit of no rush where it's like turn two turn three turn four we're setting up once someone hits their fifth land drop then it's like okay the game the dance has begun yes. right like now we have to start figuring out Who's doing what, attacking into open mana, blocking into open mana, figuring out what you're going to pass your turn with. Also, when you like we haven't I don't even have this in the show notes, but, you know, when you pass with, let's say, like a counterspell or something, you have to think about the times when you price yourself in to casting a spell. Like when are you saying, well, I'm either going to flip up this morph or cast this removal spell. You might price or cast this counterspell. You might price yourself in to removing or countering something that you don't actually need to do. So you want to be planning that out in this dance as well. It's really hard. It's like there's so many layers. It's why I think the cons gameplay does teach you a lot about limited. Yes. And there have been a couple other really good analogies in the Lords of Limited Discord and the big picture KTK. We've had some people say like, you know, whatever, thanks for the tempo on turn five format. But uh, Stingray with a gun said that, they were struggling with the difference between LCI and KTK and that LCI is like a sprint. Like you're just trying to jam things down as fast as possible, turn them sideways. And that KTK is more like a boxing match. Like you got to feel out like you're doing your left yeah. jab here. And if you try to like, you know, do that in a boxing match, you're just going to get knocked out. Like if you try to sprint in a boxing uh-huh. match, like boxing is patience, like that whole control decks take patience analogy. Yeah. So, so true. So I had a question for you about like, what do you do when you're suddenly in a position to blink first? Like there is a spot in these dances. We talked about when you stumble on mana sometimes, but when you weigh the decision of like, okay, I'm going to have to lower my shields to add to the board. And then I can't quite keep up my three options or I price myself in to do something, or I'm just going to say, look, I have to make this move. 
versus I feel like you're a lot more comfortable lighting mana on fire than I am is what I want to say. I feel like you have more patience. It's shocking that you would say you would never want to choose to play a control deck in constructed because I think you have much more patience as a magic player intrinsically than I do. Yeah, I think if I knew all the matchups, I would really like playing a control deck in constructed. Yeah. I just wouldn't want to learn all the matchups. That's where the rub is for me. Yeah. But other than that, like, yeah, I, I do think my tendencies as a magic player lend themselves towards piloting a control deck. I, I, I like I'm trying to picture how I got myself in the scenario where I have to blink First, I guess mostly I would want it to not happen in combat from what you're describing. Like I would never okay. want to have to like make a double. I would tank damage as much as I could to try to avoid having to do that. I guess it more comes up like uh, in my previous bullet of like sorceries being worse just in general. We're like, let's say one of your removal spells is right of the serpent and you feel like I do actually have to take out this threat. Like that's a spell like sorceries sort of force you to blink first. Yeah, I would make sure I knew like I would never cast that on an unflipped morph. Like I'm even kind of wary about debilitating injuring. Wow. I mean, I guess that's what it's for. But like later in the game, I don't feel great about like snapping a debilitating injury in, off into open it. mana right certainly not into open up mana yeah there's there's timing for it but i'm fine to tap out at sorcery speed most of my hesitation about like things revolves around combat so like if if i have to write of the serpent something and fire that off into my opponent's open mana, i don't feel great about it would be terrified about feet of resistance but I think when I have to tap out at sorcery speed, I'm probably not going into combat that turn. Like, let's say I had right of right of the serpent and a trick or whatever, and I thought I could win the combat with a trick, but I knew I needed to cast right of passage. It's such a disaster if you're forced to then play that trick and can't write a passage, whatever you need to post combat because you had to use the trick in combat. It all, to me, it all revolves around combat. Well, let's right, we're talking in the abstract a bit. Let's, yes. let's we've got a couple examples here. We're gonna revive our what's the play lifestyle here just a little bit from uh, a couple of spots from the arena open day two run last week. What do you got for us? Uh, so this is a spot. This is my first round of my uh, draft one arena open day two run. And I had mold to five. So I was already like feeling like a oh, great I'm going to lose, you know, be out mana screw, whatever, not get a chance to play. And I Mold to five, drew pretty well, had some archers parapets as defense um, and drew a woolly loxodon. So this is my opponent's turn. My board is archers parapet, archers parapet. So two of those plus an air of the wild, the two two death toucher and an unflipped woolly loxodon. So it is face down and I have six open mana. And I think the only way I can lose this game is if my opponent screws up. So their board is uh, island, 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 rugged highlands, teamer banner so they've they've hit the requisite five mana and have all of their colors the dance has begun the dance has begun they have a face down morph they have a pine walker and they have a savage knuckle blade i have one card in hand they have six cards in hand and my opponent (laughs) attacks into my open mana with their open mana so already i'm like normally i would not feel great about doing something like this but i i am kind of i'm far enough behind i'm all to five like i have to try to eat something with my woolly loxodon. So I block there. I decide because Savage Knuckleblade has an ability where they can return it to their owner's hand. So I decided to put Air of the Wilds on their Pine Walker to definitely trade there, hopefully, and then flip my woolly loxodon, like block their Knuckleblade and flip my woolly loxodon. So they can't pump it past my woolly loxodon. It's a six, seven. And also leave them the opportunity to potentially screw up 
and return Savage Knuckle Blade to their hand, despite the fact that they already have six cards in their hand. And that's what I did. And then I, I revealed Wooly Loxodon and they did the extra blowout to themselves of bouncing Savage Knuckle Blade back to their hand. Like, so at the end of this combat, they have only a face down morph now. They saved, quote unquote, their Savage Knuckle Blade. But like, that's not what matters in the game anymore at all, like even remotely close. It's not a card advantage game anymore. Like it's a tempo game. I have a six, seven on the battlefield and they spent their turn to let me eat their four, four essentially, because it doesn't matter whether it's in their graveyard or their hand, like it's gone like <laughs> as a relevant game piece. And they didn't do any, they didn't add to their board that turn. Like if they had just let the knuckle blade die and played another card, they wouldn't have been in that bad of shape. But instead, like I got like magical Christmas land and got back in the game and somehow turned it around and won that game all because my opponent made they, they broke the rules of the dance. They attacked into open mana and lost the war. So if you're them, you think you would just go, I'm not attacking. I'm just going to develop my board. And you pass. can't. You can't attack there. Yeah. Like they have six cards in their hand to my one. The only way I win this game is if I somehow flip tempo around in them. And the only way I'm able to flip tempo around on them is in combat. Like if they just don't get into combat with me, I lose this game. I, like a hundred percent of the time. So you've got Ben as you know he is he is the former the artist formerly known as Mr. Metronome, Keeper of Time. He's he knows the dance. He gets it. Eh, Lord Tupperware a bit, bit clunkier. He doesn't quite get the dance. So here we've got a game from my arena open. My second draft. Your opponent has last turn they flipped up an Abzan guide. They have six open mana. They are about to attack their Abzan guide, their 4-4 lifelink into my board, where I have the I have the requisite, what we talked about earlier. You got to have two things. I have four open mana. I do have two things. I have a feat of resistance and I have a force away. I also have three creatures in play. One is a morph that I could flip up, but it just flips up into a 3-2. It's Mystic of the Hidden Way. And I have Jeskai Windscout, two in a blue for a 2-1 flying prowess. And Seeker of the Way, one on a white, 2-2 two, two prowess. What's great right now is I know that Ben has not looked at this board before, but I am watching him figure out how I'm about to screw this up. Yes, well, sir. Yeah, like I have so many questions for you. I did look at this board before recording, but I have not flipped forward to the result. You said you double blocked here when your opponent attacked with their Abzan guide. Uh-huh. What? Why? Why would you not just I, block with Jeskai Wind Scout and Feet of Resistance I, it? And then you have Force Away up to win, like post your opponent have something else. I know. I, <laughs> I, I can't, I cannot explain to you why I did what I did in the moment. <laughs> I guess I could go back to the video and see what my explanation was, but it was really bad because as soon so I was caught, I'll tell you what I was caught up with, which was that I really, yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to do what you said, which is cast Force Away second. Yeah. So that my prowess stuff would get to four power so that I could loot with it. Cause yeah. I had this, I'm very far behind in this game, is what I'm feeling. Like I've yes. got, I don't, my opponent's at 28 life. I'm at 10. Yeah. Our card situation is pretty similar, but their card quality is better than mine right now. But I think what, what I ended up, so I double blocked like a, a dummy, but, but then that forced me to blink first. What I think I don't want to do is blink first here. Well, or if you're going to, like, there's no way you can avoid blinking first. If you're going to block. But it's got to be force away first, right? Rather than feet of resistance first. I don't think so. I, I would either, I would either not block and go to six. Or if I were gonna try to make a play for things, I would put Jeskai Scout only on Abzan Guide. Feet of resistance my, because Jeskai Wind Scout by itself can take out the Abzan Guide when you blink first and feet. And well, then, so can Seeker. 
And it gains me life, too. So why not just oh, sure, 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 Seeker? Sure, sure, Seeker's fine. Yeah, yeah. Seeker's better also. Yeah. So Seeker okay. on Abzan Guide, Feet of Resistance, Seeker, and then you force away Abzan Guide. But you do leave yourself open to instant speed removal, getting two for right. one there that way, which is not ideal, which is why my, my tendency is to just take the four here in this spot. Yeah, but if you... So I, I, my feeling was, and I, I mean, again, I can learn from the patient's master himself in this spot, but my feeling was, I have to deal with this. Like... I don't have I don't have a way in my hand to deal with this, and I don't have a way on board to deal with this four four. So like I could take four here, take four one more time, but like I'm gonna have to try and get this thing off the board. Yeah. So uh, so you, but the only other option, like if you're not willing to try to like risk two for one yourself in instant speed removal here, is to just force away it and not get into combat with them, which I don't love either, because they can just recast it. You're just discarding a card there. Correct. Yeah, I'm just buying one turn. Yeah, I think my double block was, I Double block is the problem, I think. It's a huge problem. I think what I maybe thought at the time was that it would force them. Like, they might be like, aha, and I will feed of resistance first. Oh, you're wanting, yeah. Like, the the double block is trying to get them to act first, but then they don't. They, like, they were like, okay, two for one. Right. And then I was like, well, I don't want that, actually. Never mind. <laughs> no, thank you, please. That's yeah. why I like only blocking with one creature and blinking first. Like, yeah, that makes sense to me. It's so risky, though. It's all bad. I think like, if you're going to double. Yeah. OK, so <laughs> this is a really good one. So I think if you. <laughs> it's probably terrible to listen to, but whatever. <laughs> it's probably terrible to listen to, but who cares? It's our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you double block, I agree. You have to force away when when they go call. Like, I'll two for one you. Right. That's when you have to force away, I think. So you're saying if the plan is double, like, so you're saying the plan to double block, maybe they blink first. Then you're planning to force away first. But if you're, I think it is also reasonable to single block with Seeker and plan to blink first with Feet Feet and just know you're open to getting two for one to buy an instant speed removal spell. Yeah, I think those are the two options or taking it. I I still kind of like. Yeah, but then you just have to do this next turn. Like, sure, but you have winter flame. You don't know what you're going to draw. Yeah. The parapet, the parapet in play is also like, it's putting me on the clock. Like I go to six and then it's like, all right, time. Time's running out, baby. I don't know. It's a it's a bad it's a bad board. It's a bad board. But this is where like this is what your like your opponent has successfully leveraged themselves into a good position, right? Like I know, I I know you know that. But like (laughs) we're trying to teach people how to cons, right? How to do the cons. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like that's where you want to be. You want to be bullying. Like it's like having the 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 big stack at the poker table, right? Like you get to bully your opponents. Like you get to bet when you don't have anything. Whatever. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I do know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. that that I've I've experienced. With so this. you you went for it. So you got like really wrecked here. You lost both creatures. I would like you to not skip ahead to see what happens because it's just terrible. Because like I have the oh no moment where I cast feet of resistance. Like I double block, they go fine, and then I go oh no, I don't want that. Yeah, so I feed so you of lost resistance. both creatures, and it's just bad. It's all bad. It's all bad. A beating. But the fact that you didn't concede immediately after that is impressive. I mean, the only reason I didn't open because it's the arena. Yeah, if this was on the ladder, I'd be like, goodbye. (laughs) I'm fine. Next game, please. Yeah. So a couple examples of the dance going well and the dance going quite poorly. Yeah. 
All right. Any uh, holiday cheer to send out before we wrap things up here? Any reflections that you want to put over the the airwaves into our listeners' ears? I mean, you know, we'll we'll get in our full reflective mode uh, next week with our best worst of 2023 episode, which I'm super excited for. But I just so much to be proud of this year for the podcast. Obviously, it's my first year as a dad. It's a lot to be proud of there. But I just I love what I do. I love what we get to do each week. And I'm so grateful for our listeners and so looking forward to what 2024 has in store. I already know it has a banger of a live episode coming. It's going to start off with a bang. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also, rest in peace, Draft Boosters 2024. Yeah. Pour one out. Hopefully, Play Boosters and Murders of Karlov Manor will be sweet. And it's going to be you, Magic, on the Pro Tour, us on the main stage. I think the thing I am most thankful for about Magic right now is like team bands with brothers. Like just getting to hang out with my brothers and play that festival in a box sealed. Like that's awesome. And that wouldn't happen. That probably wouldn't be happening without the podcast also. That's sort of like brought mm. all of us back into Magic selfishly. So I love that. Out there. So thank you everyone. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everyone. And we will catch you next week for the best worst of 2023. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases, please use checkout code LOL to let them know we sent you over there. And more importantly, to get 5% off of anything you purchase, you can find all of our content over at, you like what I did there? Content over over at the Lords of Limited website, lordsoflimited.com. Links to our episode backlog, our YouTube channel, which is popping off, our Twitch streams, which it's holiday time. It's fall break, winter break, holiday break, whatever you want to call it. Ben's going to be streaming. I, I expect daily streams. Honestly, daily. When, I see, when I see on Discord, Mr. Metronome playing MTG Arena, and it's not <laughs> purple live on Twitch, I feel insulted. I feel an affront. <laughs> to our friendship. So Ben will be streaming. I'm going to try and uh, get some streams in before go away for the holidays. And uh, you can find those there on our website, our, uh, our merch courtesy of T public, all that good stuff over at lordsoflimited.com. Speaking of merch at T public, you got a rep at MC Chicago. Oh. You got to You got to make those purchases now. Shirts, sweatshirts, those tank tops on order. You got to be repping at Pro Tour Chicago for the live recording. We want to see tons of fans out there wearing tons of Lords of Limited merch. So make sure you hit that up on Public. I will be repping my well-worn Lords of Limited sweatshirt. Might, might need no, to get a second one for the weekend. Yeah, there you go. You're, you're going to get a freshie. You're going to get a freshie. <laughs> Actually, you know what I show. need? You know what I do not own? I do not own any mad apparel. I need to get some mad apparel for <laughs> yes for MC Chicago. Must do. Chicago. Whatever the letters are before Chicago. Uh, yeah. If you have any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.